It's another Wednesday, which means it's another Meathead Hippie podcast. I'm your host, Emily Schramm. Thank you for coming back and joining me. I took last week off and I feel like I need to tell the story of my non-Finland Finland trip of basically I missed the flight. Don't fly Frontier. <laughs> and it just it's a long story, but like, you know, when the universe really doesn't want something to happen, it's not going to let it happen. And I fought for that Finland trip for at least 36 hours. And then I finally had to let it go and realize I wasn't meant to go to Finland. So unfortunately I missed this four sigmatic trip and I will have to go another time when it's maybe not 20 degrees negative outside. And it worked out. I got to see my sister, et cetera. I took a nice little week of catching up on life. There's never really a day off, but that's okay. I am grateful for my life. So I am so excited you're here. We have a great podcast um, in store because I felt like recently we have been extremely, extremely hippie, which I am all for. You guys know I'm all about the hippiness, but what I would like to kind of get back into, especially as I'm changing my strength training and as I'm getting stronger is to work more on the meathead side. And I've had so many people talk to me about hip issues and chronic pain and pain and healing and squats. And so there's a few things that outside this podcast that I want to talk to you about before we get going with Dr. Teddy. So the first thing is Saturday, I have one free workout or event every month at Platform Strength in Denver. So if you are in Denver, then be sure on Saturday, you come for one of the best squat workshops you'll ever be a part of at 11 o'clock. It's 11 to one with Coach George. And he's just changed my squat and I'm still working on it. And we'll talk about it in the podcast of the things I'm working on. But if you're looking for some more education or some free things or just something to do on Saturday, it is F double F R double E waffle fry free. So come and check it out. We would love to have you just show up or email me support at platformstrength.com. Also, we just launched ass and abs and arms and abs version two. So if you are interested in a strength program. This, these are so fun because they're three days a week, not the typical four days a week like my other programs. They are meant for accessory work. So you can use them as something that you just got started to do. Like if it's your only program, you could just focus on that. But it also works in addition to a program you already do. If you want to focus on your booty or if you want to focus on your arms, it can help make that happen. And it's a perfect time to do it because it's January. Oh shoot. It's February. And we're almost in spring and everyone in springtime, when those shirts start to fall off, want those toned arms and you don't get those toned arms without putting in the work. So seriously, I'm so, the launch was perfect. I'm doing both of them and I love it because I'm just ready for bolder shoulders again. And that can all be found on my website, emilyshram.com. You can always get discounts using the code MeatheadHippie for 10% off. So if you are interested in trying a program, just, just take a look and see what you think. It's all linked. Okay. Our podcast today is somebody that I have followed and I am obsessed with his posts. And I think they're so informative. They're smart. I know that shit does not take a short amount of time to put together for you guys all. So go enjoy it. It is at Strength Coach Therapy. This is Dr. Teddy Wilsey. He is a physical therapist, a strength and conditioning coach specializing in sports rehab and performance. I just am obsessed with his approach because it is positive. It is not going to make someone feel bad when they have an injury. It is all about saying, what can we do in this moment? And like he says in this interview, 
you know, I don't want you to leave me seeing four more problems that we had when you came in with hip pain. And so it's just such a cool approach to something you don't see a lot. You know, it's so easy as somebody that wants to be a practitioner or a healer to kind of overwhelm people, but I think you're going to really enjoy it. We talk a little bit about everything and those are my favorite types of interviews. He was traveling to Denver, so it was in person, which I just wish we I could do always, which I need to make sure I do more of. And then right after we went downstairs and did the noon class, which was like straight meat. <laughs> it was perfect. It was bicep curls, triceps, skull crushers. We did the rope abs. It was awesome. So I'm just really grateful for the people that this podcast has connected me to. Go follow Strength Coach Therapy. That's also his Facebook. And then healthyballer.com if you want to see the things that he teaches and um, just kind of in general. But also he is the co-founder. I wanted to say this because this was new to me and I apologize, Dr. Teddy, that I had forgotten this. But Citizen Athletics One was also another um, thing that he found. So this is what he does for training programs. And so definitely another, it'll be linked in his Instagram so you can find it. But that's all I got for you guys. That's my intro to Dr. Teddy. And I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. I think that's it. I got, you know, back in Denver, the events that I have coming up, there's a lot of them. So I'm going to wait till next week. I have a Capital One event for free on February 20th. I have a Habit Hackers event uh, that is not free, but worth every penny because it's with James Clear, who was a podcast guest and is incredible. I know all of you love that podcast. He's coming to Denver and I get to speak with him, which is so cool. So that's um, habithackers.co and I'll have that linked up as well. And then, um, I think I have one more event with Diane Sanfilippo in February. She's coming for a book signing and I can't wait to see her. And we're going to sip on some tea and do some fun, fun chats on high fat diets and probably actually nothing about high fat diets. We tend to talk about everything else. (laughs) Uh, okay. I'll send all the details. If you are interested in these, I will make sure I post more about them. Okay. That's all I got for you. Have a fantastic Wednesday and enjoy this podcast. (laughs) I'm Emily Schramm, the ultimate meathead hippie. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. I figured it out, Teddy. We got it. We got it. I think so. Everyone (laughs) out there, I hope this audio sounds good because it took me a minute. Welcome to Colorado. You're visiting. We've had this almost on the agenda for a couple months. Yeah, I think it was July when we first started. <laughs> and then we wanted to be in person, which I haven't done in-person interviews in so long. So thank you for coming to the office. Thank you slash for having gym. Me. Yeah, it's a, it's going to be a great talk. I think when I was looking at all the topics we could talk about and this kind of brain vomit that you sent me, which I loved, <laughs> this is where I'm going to start. My love for strength training it is literally life's magical elixir. elixir. <laughs> so yep. it sounds like this podcast is going to be meathead and it's time. We It's been a lot of hippie recently. So this is great. <laughs> um, talk to me about that. Like, what do you feel if you had to convey strength training yeah. to somebody, What would, your well, feelings towards it? Strength training is funny because it was, it was stigmatized early on. Like if you talk to people in our parents' generation, they thought that it would make athletes muscle bound. They thought that it would make people, it it was bad for women, you know, and now we're finding out that it's actually the most important thing for uh, aging adults. It's the most important thing for younger athletes. And it's the most important thing for 
for diseases like arthritis, I mean, you know, Parkinson's, it's so it's it's just incredible. It has all these benefits across the entire spectrum. The elixir of life. Yeah. I love it. It really is. Did you do you listen to Joe Rogan podcast? A little bit. So he recently had um uh they were talking about no, it was Ben Greenfield and Joe Rogan's recent one about Rhonda Patrick's study that she posted. Okay. And talking about how once you strength train in general. So as a young kid, or if you like increase your capacity for strength training via Mm -hmm. steroids, you always have that stimuli. And I thought that was so interesting because one, we want more studies to say that strength training for kids is important because of how much stigma is around it. But I did think that was something I wanted to study more about if somebody did steroids and then no longer did them, how crazy that is that they still have a benefit. Well, that's what's funny, and, and you see Julian Edelman just had an incredible Super Bowl game after being suspended for performance-enhancing drugs, and you're like, hmm, I wonder about that. you know. But yeah, when you do steroids, when you have uh, that, that predisposition for strength and you built it before, it's so much easier to get it back. And you know, uh, I've had injuries. I'm sure you've had injuries. We all have. And, and it's much easier to build it back up than it was the first time around. And that's what's pretty cool about it. It comes back fast. Yeah. And I think that's good for everyone to know, especially when they like start a program and they fall off the wagon, right. as they would say, right, is how right. quickly it comes. When did you start strength training? Oh, man. So uh, I am, I'm 33 and I started strength training for high school football when I was 13 or 14. Hmm. And I was infatuated with it from the, from the very beginning. It was your love at first sight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It really was. Um, and I think it's good to know just thoughts on just for my moms out there, just the podcast I did forever ago with Neil talked about some of this, but nowhere to the depth that I think we could have gone about the pro- appropriate strength training for kids that are under mm-hmm. 18 and how much stigma there is for you and your athletes. What age do you say, let's get them in here. Let's, let's start learning. I think 12 or 13, you know, uh, at that age, there's, there's a big difference between biological maturity and chronological age. So some 12 year olds might look like 16 year olds, whereas other ones look like 10 year olds. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of use that as a judgment base, but look at gymnastics or some of these other sports that young kids are doing. They're putting incredible amounts of force through their bodies, through their tendons, ligaments, et cetera, that are probably higher than they would just if they got into a gym and used a 45 pound barbell or a trainer bar. And Those gymnasts are insane. Yeah. And so now it, you know, we could argue that maybe it's stunting their growth when they start really young, but the research hasn't shown that. And so, you know, if these kids are running and jumping around, there's no reason why they can't do some strength training. Let's talk about the injury. I mean, have you ever seen overuse of kids doing a sport? Yeah. I mean, so, so one of the, one of the really common things that you see with gymnasts is uh, Osgood Slaughter's and also Seavers disease, which is a growth of the the, the connection knee, point. So Osgood's at the knee and Seavers is at the Achilles tendon. Ah, uh, Achilles. Yeah, okay. and so it's it's called attraction apophysitis. And what it is, it's the growth of the where the tendon attaches to the bone. The bone starts to grow and it gets big and it actually never goes away. Mm. But that's something that we see with runners, with soccer players, with gymnasts. It's not a strength training injury. What my friend Carly has that, and I always she was a runner, soccer player. Is it just how your bones are, and yeah. is it just chance? Yeah, for somebody. Yeah, it's just chance. It's typically people that are a little bit more tightly bound. So, uh, and that's kind of anecdotal from what I've seen. I, I, I don't know that from a research yeah, standpoint. Yeah, what would tightly bound mean? So, so I just mean somebody that's not quite as flexible. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Because what happens is, let's say uh, you're our age, you have uh, too much pressure on your patellar tendon over time, too much time 
you know, hiking, skiing, whatever, squatting, the tendon will get sore. When you're 14 and your growth plates aren't closed, instead of the tendon taking the slack, the bone will start to, to grow That's to make up so for it. So it's, it's different. It's a different injury that we see based off of biological maturity. Phenomenon of the bunion. Yeah. Is this similar as no tendon <laughs> involved, but it changes? I, that... I, don't, I don't think so. I think the bunion is just genetic. I've seen kids that are 16 have operation, have surgeries on both, both their feet. It's such a it. horrible operation, too. Yeah. My friend did that when she was 17. And I remember, I mean, she couldn't walk for two months yeah. on both feet. That's crazy. So the injuries you, you work with the most, a huge piece of your work is making sure people understand that they are empowered to heal themselves. Absolutely. And I love that because that's not always the case, right? With practitioners and yeah. anybody in your field, it's so easy to just say, I want you to keep coming back, yeah. even at a subconscious level, mm-hmm. right? We want to guarantee in some way that we're needed. Right, <laughs> so right. I think it's really cool, that approach. Uh, what is your first step with somebody if they are at just, I had a call last night, somebody is just recently injured. Everything has kind of just, the wind has been sucked out of their sails. Yeah. They are deflated. They don't know really what to do. We've talked about this with head injury, but not so much physical injury. Mm-hmm. I love your initial approach to that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, especially with younger athletes that I work with, a lot of times if they're physically injured, it's a part of their identity that's taken away from them. And you have to recognize that and you have to be able to talk to them about it a little bit. And it's tricky because I'm a physical therapist, but the therapist is in the word there. And there's a big part of it that has to do with your connection, your relationship with those people. Uh, and so, you know, whether it's somebody in pain, somebody recovering from an injury and kind of a, an identity crisis of sorts, the important thing is just to recognize that and just to approach them appropriately and, and not ignore the elephant in the room, so to speak. And not just instead of telling them, hey, everything will be okay, let's move on. It's like, hey, let's talk about this a little bit. Yeah, this so, sucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, but, but yeah, if you validate their feelings, you're like, hey, I know this sucks. I think that can be more helpful than just kind of blindly saying, you're going to get better. It'll be fine. You know, so. Yeah, that makes sense because nobody wants to hear that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and then, and the other side of it is people with pain. And, you know, you could go to a physical therapist, a chiropractor, or a, a whomever, and they, they will have totally different approaches. If you went to 10 different PTs in Denver, you would get 10 different opinions about, your hip pain or your knee pain or whatnot. That's the truth. And regardless of what our opinions are, a lot of times there is a lot of overlap in what we end up doing. The theory might be different. The practice might be more similar. And hopefully the end result will be similar, which is most people kind of naturally heal over time. Do you ever get jaded in your industry seeing? <sighs> All the time. Okay. I was curious yes. about that as a PT. If All you... the time. Because chiropractors too, right? There's, yeah. it's any, pra- it's anything. There's good and bad. I, mean, I know great. I know some great chiropractors and they, they treat very similarly to how I treat. I also know some physical therapists that I might not necessarily agree with everything they do. So it's, I don't think that uh, it's helpful to just draw a line in the sand and say, I trust these people and not those. Yeah. And you teach other therapists. That's mm-hmm. a big part. And Kairos too. Yeah. Cool. And so you're going to Salt Lake City next. Um, talk about your like biggest takeaway of what you want someone that does your workshop to learn from you. Well, so kind of like what we talked about with empowering people. Let's say somebody comes to me with pain. They've had pain on and off for a few years. They've seen a few different practitioners. I want them to understand how they can approach this on their own. I don't want to make me part of their part of their narrative. I want them to be able to do it on their own. And so uh, the first way that I approach it is talking to them about, you know, things will heal, kind of taking a positive approach to it. And if they walk into my office with one problem, 
their hip hurts. I don't want them to leave with four problems. My big toe's not working. My left ab isn't firing. My right shoulder isn't, is too rolled forward. And all of that is why my hip hurts. It's a little complicated. Well, I think I've been recently talking about this from a nutritional therapist perspective. When we look at organ function or organ dysfunction, how easily it is to unintentionally tell somebody how broken they are. When you're just trying to, your intentions are completely to help them heal and to give them the support. And you're trying to explain the whys behind that hip pain. But then in turn, there's like this underlying (laughs) factor of shame. Of like, oh my God, I am broken. Right. I feel like shit about my body. My body has betrayed me. So I'm really glad you said that because I see that all the time with catching myself being like, we ha- being careful of how I phrase it, but also being careful about how in general that's how we approach right. helping people. Yeah. And so like what you said, like how we phrase it, how we frame what we're telling these people is so important. And we don't want them to leave with more problems. We might observe something, and if we don't think it's that helpful to tell them, I might not say it. Or if they say, do you think my bunions contributing to this? I'm like, maybe it is a little bit, but we're not going to do anything about that right now. So let's just kind of work within our confines. And I think that that approach and just being more relaxed instead of saying, yeah, it totally is because you're not towing off and then you're externally rotating your foot and then you're, you know, this and that and the things that happen with body compensations, it's just not helpful to overcomplicate things for somebody that is oftentimes kind of scared. They're apprehensive. They got their seven minutes with the doctor where they left with more questions and answers. And now I'm the doctor of physical therapy. I'm the one that's there to spend more time with them and help them feel better about it. Help them heal. Yeah. And heal is so talk about how stress factors into that healing process. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's so much research on this. There's a really interesting study where they did a, a, they put a small slit on the roof of medical students' mouths, and they studied how long it took it to heal. The group that they did right before exams took 25% longer to heal than the group that they did before summer break. Wow. Yeah. And, and you know, we just see the – think about what they were doing before exams. They weren't sleeping that much. Their diet probably wasn't great. All of those things cortisol combined. Is oh, so cortisol high. through the roof. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, we see that with the hormonal effect, especially if somebody that has – uh, Addison's disease or, or some sort of actual hormonal imbalance, mm-hmm. we see how powerful stress actually is. Like true adrenal fatigue. Yeah, exactly. Call it adrenal right, right. Fatigue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. An actual, yeah, an actual deficit in one of your hormonal, in your hormonal balance. And so um, with all of these things, I mean, with all this information, what do we do with it? Just be a human, you know, don't, don't be that super complex doctor that's like, oh, you have this and this wrong. And it's like, I think I can challenge people's beliefs, but not push them into their corner and make them, you know, make them put up a wall. If I say, Hey, let's just be humans. And and sometimes I'm like, they're, your patient's not going to have you when they go on vacation, and they want to go hiking for a week. Your patient's not going to have you when they're out on the field, you know? So if you don't tell them how messed up they are, and instead you try to empower them because we're all humans, we all have asymmetries. We all have our things. You know, I've had multiple shoulder surgeries. I'm still out here skiing, doing whatever. Like if you instill confidence, it's very helpful. I love that. I think it's interesting too, from the perspective of understanding the client, right? So sometimes the, I love the Gretchen Rubin tendencies because Mm -hmm. I think they're, it's just really cool to say, all right, if I know that this person needs that external support because they're an obliger, right? They're going to need that check-in. They're going to need that help. But if I check in too much with a rebel, this person's never going to touch a supplement or, or go to the gym 
until they're ready yeah. to do it. So that can also be really helpful is like the, those four tendencies. Do you know which tendency you are? Uh, you probably I'm, are. I'm definitely question, a rebel. Rebel, a rebel or, questioner. or questioner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then if you're listening and you don't know, it's a obliger, questioner, rebel, and then the upholder, which okay. the upholders, I told people, it's basically like the people that you kind of hate because they like, get everything <laughs> right. <laughs> They're yeah. like, they have no problems with any right, sort right. of injury healing protocol. They're just yeah. like the type A's, which is, mm-hmm. you can be type A's and not an upholder, <laughs> but uh, it is important. I think I love that we mentioned with cortisol specifically because how the 25% change in I mean, that's an yeah. extreme amount of stress, but it's also when you think about how stressed you are about healing and how stressed you are because you can't work out in the way that we're so used to, right. how that is just as equivalent as a student going to med school trying to finish their exams. Mm-hmm. It's just, it wreaks havoc. And I know you, you know, have also with the psychology piece that you talk about your own self and the stress that you have as you run your own business and do these seminars, how some ways that you've helped mitigate the stress, whether you're injury free or not, yeah, yeah. just in general, what are some ways that oh. you've learned to kind of go with the flow here? Well, you know, once I'm seven years old, I'm going to be that person struggling with self-identity because I'm such an active person. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm out here in Denver right now, staying in winter park, skiing during the day, doing some work at night. Like that's, that's my stress relief. I've been looking to this, looking forward to this trip for a while. Yeah. Uh, and just kind of being active and staying, you know, staying engaged with other things when I'm outside of work. I enjoy kind of unplugging and just immersing myself into whatever. I need lessons. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. Well, I know you have Brian Nunez on here. Yes. And uh, I spoke with Brian at a, uh, at a seminar last year. And so I got to know Brian a little bit. And like one thing that Brian likes to talk about is like, whatever you're doing, be a hundred percent in it. And that was, that was something that I took away from, you know, from watching his, from watching his talk and being like, man, you're right. And it's so that's so true because you're if you're not a hundred percent there, you're fifty yeah. percent everywhere. And then it's just at the end of the day, you're like, what did I even do? I and it's like you're getting an email, you know somebody out there is waiting on you. And it's it's mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you could speak on it better than I can. I know you're a busy oh. bee, but it's like yeah, ebbs and it, flows, man. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the right, day. Right, right. Yeah. I don't know if you saw my phases of the entrepreneur shirt that I have, but like I was looking at the full moon and I had this total epiphany. So it was this full moon just bright and beautiful. And I'm like, God, I have days where I feel that way, right? You feel like you crushed and changed some lives and you stayed on top of your schedule and you did your workout and your emails are done. Oh, you're on top of the world. You're on top of the world. And then within an hour or within a day or within a week, all of a sudden you could not have felt further away from that. And you think it's never going to happen again. And so that's my reminder of like, the full moon never doesn't come back. Like we're never not going to have it, right? That's how our whole system our universe operates well yeah. it's crazy when you when you put your put some skin in the game so to speak and you take risks and you put yourself out there there's going to be those ups and downs and mm. uh it's still more up than down and i wouldn't change it for anything but yeah it's de- it's definitely challenging and it's it's like i've i've had to schedule or plan for hey i'm make sure i keep in touch with these friends this family this you know and i i've become such a kind of organized person because of it because mm. You know, so you have to be right. It's like when moms become moms, they're like ridiculously stuck. Like they can get so much done in 20 minutes. They're like superheroes (laughs) for sure. Well, they already are. But with some, what you said, when you turn 70, you're going to have, um, a complex. Yeah. Well, what if, what about all this longevity 
research coming out. I think we like are on the maybe forefront. 80. Hopefully, think, 80. we'll be out there. <laughs> oh, I'm pushing for 125. <laughs> if, as long as I can move the way I yeah, want to, yeah. there's like no way that we are like the first ones to get this research. I mean, it may, I think that a lot of people already have it, but it's way too expensive. Yeah. So I'm hoping by the time we're like 50, it becomes extremely mm-hmm. common norm for people with longevity. Have you gotten into the longevity, <sighs> like how to help? aging yet a little bit not really i try to just do best practice you know i try to eat well and exercise you're such a moderator and peaceful guys i wish you could feel his (laughs) flow it's so calm damn no it's like i mean i you know i i still drink i still have fun with friends and whatnot but i but i also have times where i'm like you know i'll get a salad today i'll do this and and so it's you're a moderator exactly (laughs) i try to be it's hard but yeah I, th- I mean, it's hard for all of us, and it it's, again, <laughs> good to know that it's de- easier for some, right? Mm. So it, when people say, like, I can just have one bite of chocolate, I am not the person not that can have one no, bite no, no. of chocolate. No, oh, the, so that's different. No, okay. if the plate of cookies is in front of me, it's it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's Like, for me, I think when I have, um, for example, dark chocolate, it makes me only want milk chocolate. And so instead of having... Crave the sugar. Yes, because you're like, this is supposed to be something, but in my brain, it's not clicking. Mm -hmm. It's just not doing it. And some people, dark chocolate can totally work. And it's a perfect alternative. But for me, it just makes me think, I can't have milk chocolate. And then I feel (laughs) deprived, and then I go down this cycle. So (laughs) I totally agree. Um, Let's jump into the time management. So you said you're good at scheduling. You feel like you can come... Let's get, give us some lessons. You know, it's in one thing that I found when I started to get really busy with work is that I let my social life slip, social life and recreational uh, things, family slip more than I wanted to. And it was actually a source of unhappiness or stress for me. And your home base is? Washington, DC. Awesome. Yeah. And so uh, I was traveling a lot for work. I was just very involved and I just hired a a second physical therapist at at my practice and you know, I was immersed in work and I was happy when I was at work, but I knew that there was something missing and I'm a very social creature. I always have been. So, so for me, I had to say, okay, I'm not going to take that on. I want to plan quality time with friends and family and, you know, reaching out to people and putting that on the schedule, I think has been extremely important and helpful. And it also tells me, uh, which is something I know you probably struggle with is how much can I take on? And then the FOMO aspect of it, am I missing out if I don't do that? If I hadn't have gone to that thing in Portland last year, I wouldn't have met Brian or I wouldn't have, you know. And so, like, every single thing that you do, it's like, what am I missing out on? What is What will what this opportunity – What could I be learning? What right. would this lead to? And it's not all about, uh, you know, social climbing or, like, self-improvement. Sometimes it's about – I genuinely enjoy working and doing these things. Mm-hmm. But you can only do it so much. So tell me about some of the ways you found that. Okay. And I think – what I like is the it evolves. So when you first start your business and you first start your practice, it's just ape shit. You're just all mm-hmm. in, right? And so it's finding those boundaries as you develop more. What whether it's clients for my practitioners out there, or whether it's just more opportunities. I I'm just curious. I've always I'm what I'm doing now is anytime I'm going through a stage in my business where I feel like I'm growing, mm-hmm. I'm like, I want every detail so that I can document this and help somebody avoid this step, right? Like I want to be as literal as possible because right. sometimes it just happens and you're like, oh yeah, I, my schedule freed up and things got a little less chaotic. But like digging into the whys has been really helpful for me. And this one I can't quite figure out because I'm like, 
it was a point where I don't know. I don't remember at what point I, whether it was hiring help for the first time or if it was just my energy, maybe it was my total cortisol shit show that happened when I was competing in CrossFit where I like Mm -hmm. was at empty and had to start over. So I was trying to figure that out. Do you know where some of those changes were for you? Like, are there any, well, it's like, it's like, like what you said, every time you start something new, you, you go through this growing pain where it is a shit show. And then you try to, you look back and you're like, okay, let, we need to create these processes for this specific event, whatever it is, whether it's onboarding a new patient, whether it's having somebody new in terms of your online business or anything. And so I've found that creating these processes is the most, and that's where the type A part comes in, where I'm not relaxed, where I'm not, where I'm like, all right, we need to get this straightened up today because this is costing me an extra 15 minutes every single time. Mm. And, and you can feel it. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. Makes sense. And, and so, man, it's all about leveraging technology. With all that from a from an actual business standpoint, uh, what are some know. ways, some tools that you've used? Was it, is it like okay. Calendly so, scale, yeah. scheduling? Yeah, oh yeah, Calendly. Yeah, cool. so so I actually just had a patient schedule on Calendly like twenty minutes ago. Isn't that <laughs> so great? Yeah, and I'm like, that wasn't a an email that I had to do, right? And so, uh, starting from a kind of a mom and pop physical therapy stand uh, practice, you know, we don't take insurance. We spend an hour with everybody, more similar to how you would pay a personal trainer or massage therapist. Mm-hmm. And so we can't afford to have front desk staff and all this different stuff, or it's just not really in our in our business model. So yeah, so I have an online schedule, I have an online intake form, I have online this and that, um, you know. And then with uh with my online company that we do, uh, it's kind of like an inner circle and monthly workout uh, system. It's called Citizen Athletics. That's all kind of automated too, and we have an app with it and uh, videos and you know. So so. Putting technology. in more exactly leveraging technology, and I mean that's how we're sitting here today because of our internet, and that's how we got to know each other. And so, I mean, that's been the biggest, and most helpful. And it's thing. so much cheaper than an assistant. I if know, you're not there I yet. Know. <laughs> yeah, you know, and some people might not even want that. So it's really cool. That's a great point. I love yeah. that. Yeah, it's not the most exciting thing. It's not as much about stress management, but it's important. Well, it is stress management when you yeah. think about it. Because, right, right. you know, when I was going through my emails, I was looking through for something of like, when was the first time I ever used the word MFIT for my lawyer? And I was digging and digging and digging into these old emails. And I was like, holy shit, like the amount of effort. And it's a great thing, right? It's why I'm here because I, but I had forgotten this stage in my life where, you know, I would ship the shirts because I'd didn't want to hire anybody. I would email respond to people if they had any issues with points or challenge issues or didn't understand the video about eating high fat. And I just started to see, you know, hours and hours of emails Mm -hmm. and realizing, oh my gosh, I learned such the hard way. Like that was not the most efficient. I mean, it helped me though, because you learn what are people asking all the time? What do I need to make more clear in my programs? What do I need to do for my auto emails? So Mm -hmm. I think it has, you have to go through the shit in order to figure out what will help. But I have a lot of business owners that listen to this. So I think this, that will be very helpful. Yeah. Do you have any other business advice as far as handling stress? Oh man. I mean, so so the example you just said, you know, you, you respond to people and over and over, you, you come across the same problems. How do you tackle those problems? Create the content to to answer those problems, you know, put together as much information as you can and just try to, the more that I invest into a relationship with my clients, and sometimes it's, it's not a one-on-one relationship if there's a bunch of people buying the same product, but the more that they see I invest in it, I think 
the, the better I can sleep at night knowing that I'm giving them a good product. And that's the most important thing. And that's for me, that's stress management. That's a great because point. It's, it's, it's that whole idea of, did you make the best decision at that time with the information that you had? You know, did you do as well as you could? And if you did, hopefully you can sleep at night. Yeah. And, and I think for us in the industry we're in and anybody listening that whether they're starting a brand or a business, it's like that takes not the quick fix, right? right. We will not dilute ourselves in order to give that best product, mm-hmm. even though it might be simplified Absolutely. in an online. That's what's so powerful of those people. When you find them, your clients recognize it. So it's a great testament to the work that you do in an industry that can so easily become, if you have knee pain, here we go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Just take this supplement, do this and that. And I mean, sometimes it's more complex than that. And sometimes it takes a conversation or a one-on-one interaction. It does. Yeah. There's, I have a Seth Godin quote up in my office and it's a page long, so I don't, I don't know it off the top of my head, but paraphrasing, it says, if you invest more into each relationship than people expect back, uh, you know, they will see they will see the benefit and the value and they will get back. Oh, I and love it's, that. And it's about, you know, there's two ways. It's about digital marketing. And there's I uh, love Seth Gunn. Yeah. And there's and there's two kind of approaches. One is uh shoot out as many as you can. Don't invest any time into any one particular relationship, but just, you know, an example would be paying for tons and tons of Facebook and Instagram ads over and over. So everybody sees you over and over and over again. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the other side of it is putting as much care and quality into the content that you're creating or the the free information that you're giving that people see that you really really are, are passionate you're about human it. yeah i mean you even said that when you walked in you're like i mean i feel like we don't know each other but you seem like a real person so it was, yeah it was like okay let's hang out let's <laughs> yeah, film yeah. something but it's true how do people know right. that who is who they see on instagram or who they see wherever they see them is somebody that they could really relate to they just don't you're and, just kind of guessing that's the funny thing about social media too, is like, how do you show people that you're a real human? Mm. And that's a challenge in of itself. And I had a like, rant that I wanted to, I don't know if I should go on it, but I'm going to go ooh, on I'm, it. I'm curious. Well, I just, I'm <laughs> so frustrated because I, there's so many times and it's, it's not, I'm not going to say what was me and I'm not going on a feminist rant, even though I'm full feminist. I just think <laughs> <laughs> that what is frustrating is people see one that, and it's, trust me, if you're listening to this, I'm not talking about you guys. I love you guys. You're amazing. (laughs) The the people I'm talking about are the ones that I find at events and workshops or mostly men that have their own podcasts. Um, I, what is interesting. I don't have my own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Or some sort of avenue, some sort of training avenue is it is harder to prove my intelligence to them because what they see is my social, whatever it is, if they see my social media, whether it's me working out with a sports bra on or me just saying this is part of my life. Like it, if unless every post in my feed or at least 80% of it is quotes and something intelligent about a book I wrote or me had hippie facts and I'm not constantly spewing information, which I do in my podcast mm-hmm. and in my programs and with the group that's already invested in me, it's crazy to think like I've had literally I've had people say, wow, you're so much smarter than you look. Wow, I what can't does believe. That mean? Oh man, it happens all the time. I can't believe you have such a good head on your shoulders. I thought you were just a good face. Like I've had that literally verbatim said to me. Yeah. And I I think that's just something. So the rant, I was driving, I was frustrated. I was not wanting to be the bigger person. And then I realized that the lesson in this is how can I flip that and instead of just 
proving somebody wrong or proving somebody right, I guess, is saying, well, you know, how do I see judgment in others through social media that I don't give them a chance? Because I'm sure I do it to people all the time, Mm -hmm. the same way that they've done it to me. How am I doing it to others? And that's the only thing I can control. And it flipped it for me. It was like literally this morning. I'm like, you're right. You have a lot of work to do in that area, Emily. You're not perfect. So give somebody some grace. And instead of reacting to it, it's just saying, you know, there's always going to be people that think that. So perceptions on social media are so, they're so prevalent though, because it is such a piece of our life. And Mm so training people to understand how to separate identity from it. That has been the biggest piece for people, for my clients specifically, not even business related. Like, can we separate who we are from social media? And if we have a hard time with that, then that's where we should start. Yeah. Yeah. And I say this sarcastically, but that's kind of like the plight of being an attractive woman is that people will make assumptions about how you got to where you are or what you're doing. And I mean, my wife and I talk about this all the time and, and, you know, it's my wife actually is a sculptor and and like has a wood shop and she taught when she was in grad school for sculpture, she taught wood shop, but she's like this attractive girl or woman that, you know, people just assume, Oh, you don't know how to, you don't know how to use a, you know, a a table saw or you don't know. And so, uh, yeah, it's right. And like these burly, you know, woodworking men would come in there and, you know, scoot aside and like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, I mean, and I I hate on it because we're at the gym, but we do it for men too, right? So we do it like we see somebody that's big and masculine and we don't expect them to be, maybe have a husband or we don't expect them to maybe um, be able to sing and that we're like shocked. So I think we all have that, that we just are slowly learning how to change. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's just a process. Thanks for letting me rant. No, please. (laughs) It was was funny. I was having, my wife was, uh, she's, she's big into strength training. She's pretty recreational about it, but um, you know, we're, she was having a conversation with a friend who she was trying to convince to, to do a little more strength training because her friend was trying to start a, more of a regular exercise uh, routine. And her friend said something about, oh, well, I don't like being in the guy section of the gym with all those big guys with tattoos or something. And that's and my wife was like, well, what about Teddy? And she yeah. was like, he's not judging you and he's a big guy with tattoos. And it's like, you know, maybe not everybody that looks like they're focused and they belong there is judging you. They're most of them are probably worried more about themselves. A hundred percent. That all of them are yeah. worried about they there's a reason there's mirrors in a gym, right? Yeah. Because people want to see it and exactly. they want to flex it out. And that's oh God, I love that you said that because that's something huge I just talked about with some people of like I've heard this phrase a lot. So I'm not the one that created it, but like taking up space mm-hmm. and understanding that when you go to the gym, even though everyone feels it it really feels like everyone's looking at you and it's like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. People are going to know. And there's those assholes that really are going to bother you and they really might say something. But for the most part, if you can just own that space and make yourself fill the hole that you feel yeah, and no one will bother you. It's an energy that you're bringing, a presence that you're mm-hmm. bringing that you deserve to bring and people notice that and they won't notice you being small, right? they will get in your way and then it will become a problem because it's now more about you in your own head than it is about you enjoying your damn workout, which yeah, is why yeah. you're there. So yeah, that was a great point of what she said about like, yeah. wait, there's good people that are jacked with tattoos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like they're not all evil. I know. <laughs> um, I did have a question. There was um, a lot of specifically, since I, I have a PT in the room, this is for all my Facebook groupers. About mm-hmm. hip labrum tears. 
Yeah. And just kind of, I know there's not one size fits all, but I would love to talk to you about that. I had one, um, I was able to do it without surgery. I know a lot of people that did surgery and mm-hmm. are still recovering, but starting to see symptoms in the other hip. And this just keeps coming up. And I did a talk on hips, but I just would love to know from you and your perspective of how you approach that whole phenomenon. Yeah. So if we if we kind of classify the bigger picture of hip labrum tears into FAI or femoris tabular impingement, what we've seen is that arthroscopy or arthroscopic surgery isn't as successful or the outcomes aren't as great as we had hoped for. And so that's literally taking the bone, which has somewhat of a callus on it, right? This bone almost grew a little bump. Correct. And that is what's yeah. impinging. It's uh-huh. pulling. That's the click that people hear. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's uh, they term them either cam or pincer deformity, depending on where that bone spur is. Uh, either on the femur or on the acetabulum, which is the part of the hip, the socket part of the ball and socket joint. Yep. And so depending on where that, that pain is or where that uh, bump is, it will cause pain in certain ranges of motion of your hip. So typically it's going to be when you pull your knee up to your chest and then, <clears throat> excuse me, and then you rotate your leg one way or the other. Mm. And you'll see it's extremely individual. Some people will have more, it's more common to have pain with internal rotation, but some people will have pain with deep hip flexion, so knee up towards your chest, kind of like in a deep squat, and then external rotation. I was in to chest internal. Okay. Yeah, yeah. and that's the most common one. That's called the FAIR, uh, femoral, acet- femoral acetabular impingement. Um, and so with the FAIR test, what we see is adduction and internal rotation. So bring your knee into your chest, and then IR, so you rotate your foot out, causes that pinch at the top. Yep. I explain this to patients as it's similar to bending your finger back. Most people will get to a point where they're uncomfortable there, regardless of whether you have a pathology or not. What we have to do is desensitize that position. So you have to work into it a little bit, but the best way to work into it is in an unloaded environment. So it's not with a heavy heavy barbell on your back. Yeah, It's more on your back, slowly stretching into it and using your muscles to get there as well. So developing what we would call motor control. Mm. So if you strengthen your hip rotators in those positions and you push all the way to the edge of pain, back off slightly from a range of motion standpoint, and then do an isometric contraction there, slowly increase that over time, hopefully you can gain back some of that motion. An isometric contraction meaning like firing gluten, mead, and min, or more just so isolated contraction of just holding to chest? An isometric contraction of the motion that bothers you. So so it would be a flexion contraction at some point in time. So using your hip flexors, mm-hmm. let's say I'm laying on my back, I pull my knee up to about 90 degrees, and then I put my hands on my knee, and I just hold it there, yeah. push against my knee. If I get my knee up too high, I might get to a point that it hurts, back off slightly, and then hold there. And then the same thing with rotation. So that's when the foot goes either in towards the body or out away from the body. Um, So in my course, I teach a a category of uh, modifications, non-modifiable factors. And with hip impingement, it typically is a non-modifiable factor. It's something that we can't change your anatomy. And we've seen that even with hip arthroscopy, with surgery, it doesn't always improve even when we do change the anatomy. And the hips that are more prone to this, are they, with the anatomy that we have, it's people that have inter- like kind of the interior rotated pelvis? Um, is it more so, like just smaller capsules? So we do typically see a huge variation in actual hip structure. And that's, that's why we see huge variations in the way people walk, the way they, their toes either point in or out. Yep. If, I'm in. I'm a pigeon toe. So you have antiverted hips. Got it. 
And what that means is that there's also retroverted. There's also femoral retroversion. Okay. And it's a it's it's a rotation of the femur bones, so of your thigh bones. And when you're retroverted, your feet tend to point out more like Got a duck. It. Yep. When you're antiverted, your feet tend to point in more. And somebody when you were eleven years old probably made fun of you for being pigeon toed. <laughs> All the time. And then you tried to <laughs> tried to walk with your feet straight. Oh, I couldn't. Even though that's not the way your anatomy <laughs> wants you to walk. Yeah. And this is a perfect example of the kind of the positive psychology aspect of my treatment. Because if I have somebody that comes in here and they say, hey, you know, my hips are kind of off. And I'm like, no, this is your anatomy. This is okay. Like, let's, let's learn to embrace this. And instead of trying to do the squat form that your boyfriend told you you have to do with right, the Louis Simmons, <laughs> point your toes all the way out. Like that really that, wide stance. That form might not work for you. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, I'll tell you this. I've completely healed and I'm really grateful unless I have something that triggers me dietary wise. It starts to kind of inflame the yeah. whole pathway. Or if I run more than three miles on pavement, actually in general, that's kind of like my rule of thumb is I'm not a huge that's fan. That's what of cars it. are for. <laughs> I mean, the Spart- I did the Spartan race, the Breckenridge Beast. And I was okay, but it was all, it was like trail running, right? Yeah. So it's definitely pavement. Trail running is way easier on the oh, body. so much more, uh, and so much cooler, yeah, right? Oh, I'm so lucky that I'm in Colorado. But I have found- Don't rub it in. What's that? Don't rub it in. I don't know, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody come visit. Um, what I have found is I used to only do sumo deadlifts. And I don't know if it's because that's how I trained or it's actually how I was strongest. And then after the hip labral tear in 2000, I want to say 13, Ever since then, there's an impingement that happens if I go too wide. So that wide stance right. that you talked about, I used to be able to do it. But since then, that's the one so, move that I can't do. So that's a perfect example. In a sumo deadlift, your torso is much more upright and your hips are much deeper than in a conventional deadlift. So you're going to be at a higher risk of pissing your hip off, basically. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's kind of the way I phrase things, too. Like when I'm talking to patients, I'll be like, you know, you're going to piss your hip off if you go there. Mm-hmm. That makes more sense to them than if I say, you're that little piece of bone is going to push right on that tissue. And that's going to do, you know, that's yeah. scary. That creates like a kind of an a, image, especially if you're like are prone to anxiety or whatnot. And so, you know, and so, so I'll say that I'm like, look, that might piss your hip off a little bit. So let's do it this way. Yeah. And, um, and this is important to say, it's challenging. if it pisses your hip off with hip labral tears, you shouldn't do it. Correct. Correct. Okay. This it is, is a for non- my sister <laughs> listening right now. <laughs> it is a non-modifiable factor. You are not, you're probably never going to lift like uh, a, a Olympic lifter that you see do catch a, you know catch their cleans completely ass to grass. So I can't again. Thing. I actually, which is if you awesome. have your knees further in, maybe yep. if you have raised change, heels, change some some lifters. It. So like, so one of the case studies I do for my course is on a hip labral issue, and I find That's it fascinating great. because it's it's. I mean, everybody has them, or so many people do. Isn't it like sixty to seventy really percent habit? Really and it's just I, not... I don't know the stat, but that sounds right. That's I mean, what I learned yeah. when I with um the Vidal's, Armando and Leslie. They're the doctors I worked with here in Denver. They're the best doctors in the world. If you're looking for somebody, cool. because they don't push surgery, they were like, you were. They were the ones that saved me from getting surgery. Mm-hmm. So they're really good about. That. Yeah. So listen to go find the Vidal's V I D A L S. I love yeah. them. Okay, continue. Okay, so my case study. So this woman and I, I mentioned I joked earlier. If your boyfriend thinks you should do this this exact form, this woman uh, she actually had a boyfriend that tried to help fix her squat form, got her out of Olympic lifters into flat shoes. Which I wish required... you would have seen my eye roll just now. It <laughs> <laughs> was a good eye roll. Thank you. <laughs> Very convincing. <laughs> uh, clearly hit clearly hit a note there. So okay, so so. Her boyfriend said, hey, you need to squat in flats and not Olympic lifting shoes. What does that do? 
it changes into more of a hip strategy to hit depth in your squat instead of an ankle strategy. Because let's talk about this. I've had people ask, should I get Ollie lifting shoes? I love a PT perspective because when you're looking at Ollie shoes, it's specific for that catch because your, your full snatch or clean and jerk is finished in a squat because that's the most likely heaviest weight that you can Mm -hmm. pick up. Right. So I would love to know your perspective. Should flat or Ollie shoes, especially if you have any sort of hip mobility issue, uh, and it's not always a muscular thing. It might, it might be that that actual joint itself. Yeah, get some Ollie shoes. Yes. Continue to stretch your ankles. Work on your ankle dorsiflexion. Don't just ignore it now because you raise your heels by two centimeters. But yeah, by all means, use the tools that we have available to us. They're there for a reason. And you know, some people get really worried about like dysfunction, and and you always have your your kind of like your barefoot training crowd that will hate on it. But no, use use the yeah. tools that you have. I, I don't use them for deadlifts. Do you? Yeah, no. Would you ever suggest that for deadlifts? You know, I'll. I if you're an Olympic lifter, I think it would be appropriate to use them for like that an RDL sense. or a snatch grip RDL, just yeah. to get your body more used to that pitch of the ankle. Yeah, and trying to get your shoulders back. Right. While your shoes are trying to push you forward. Right, because when you're on your toes, you have to like use your kind of your upper back more to really hold that weight in. Yeah, that's why they're so shredded in their rhomboids. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love watching Ollie lifting. <laughs> it's fa- it's fascinating. It's such a skill. It takes so much practice. It really does. Yeah. One thing that could be a good start, and you might have a better way, but like before making the commitment to buying the shoes, because mm-hmm. I think, I think Reeboks are maybe at minimum 150, so they're like a commitment. Yeah, yeah. Is kind of testing the squat with plates under. Absolutely. See yeah. How it feels. Yeah. So if you raise the heels a little bit, if you go through more of a knee dominant strategy to squat. So uh, oftentimes we teach younger, younger athletes to squat by pushing their hips back first. Yes. However, this is the CrossFit phenomenon this, that we have to talk about. This is where you might need to actually learn how to squat by driving your knees forward first. This is what I'm doing and, right now. Yeah. And you might need to you know, you're not going to use your glutes quite as much. You're going to be a little more quad dominant. That's okay. For somebody that has a hip issue, that might be their best way. And you can kind of train around that hip issue. Other other strategy strategies I will use, pause at the bottom of your squat, gain a lot of strength. That There's your isometric contraction. Again, come down to wherever you might have that pain stop above it. Yes. Pause there. Hold. You know, work up to five-second pauses. Very slow eccentrics. Work on that control there with a one-second pause. Put a box under your butt if you need to. You can either use the box as uh, kind of a, a tactile cue of, okay, this is my depth, or you can actually do a proper box squat where you sit back onto the box and put about 50% of your weight. Those are my favorite. Yeah, so those are the ways that we're going to help people work back in. I mean, I have worked with dozens and dozens of CrossFitters, Olympic lifters, all with hip issues that this stuff works. It, it really doesn't does. happen overnight. But strengthen the heck out of your hip don't rotators. Piss your, don't piss your hip off. Yeah, and just stop <laughs> pissing it off. Yes, totally. Yeah. It's great because I think uh, when the going back to how I teach people how to squat and changing that language, um, really downstairs, like no matter what, my I'm already kind of internally rotated, right? And mm-hmm. I think for me, it's using my big toe. I do yeah. not use quads and I do not use my feet like in a way that, it promotes mm-hmm. a healthy squat in any capacity. So I'm like, no wonder why my squat is my worst lift because I've just been thinking of all the wrong cues. It's, hips back, hips back, hips back, toes up. No. <laughs> oh my gosh. I Emily, that drives me nuts. Oh. I hate the toes up cue. 
my cue is either feel your big toe on the ground or use your whole foot. Yes. It's kind of like that idea of the tripod of the foot. You have yeah. the three points of contact on inside and outside on the balls of your feet and then your heel. Yes. Too often people are taught, reach back with your hips, stay on your heels. I'm like, I'm so guilty of this because I what athletic thing have you ever done where you don't use your toes? Yes, I know. I'm so <laughs> guilty of this because I after going through my CrossFit Kool-Aid stage, it was like, okay, then yeah. this is, and there was just so it's been so cool for me to have a strength gym that's not CrossFit because the amount of knowledge I'm learning in general. I mean, finding just cues after cues after cues that I wish were taught in the places yeah. that they are being performed. Well, it's a one-size-fits-all approach, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, a big part of what I teach—I'm a physical therapist. I've worked with people one-on-one for over ten years—is not the one-size-fits-all, but how can we make small modifications, you know, kind of on the fly, and just recognize and appreciate individual anatomical differences. Yeah. Um, Do you tie in nutrition at all to your stuff? I don't. I will talk to people about it if they want to engage. It's definitely a big—I would say interest of mine, but I try to kind of stick within really what my passion, my true passion and expertise is. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. God, I love nutrition. Yeah. I I mean, I, I love it too. And I I spend a lot of time learning about it and reading about it. I mean, it's totally like what you said in this, um, what we started with the, how strength training is magical, the magical elixir. Like that's, that's how I feel about food. Yeah. So I think it's perfect because Uh you're doing a great job with teaching people the the right way. Like mm-hmm. I love the empathetic care that needs to come with it yeah. because it doesn't come with it. Right, right. Um, anything else you want to talk about as far as things that you've seen that you just want to rant about or address? Oh, anything meathead hippie that we didn't talk into? <laughs> this has been great, by the way. Well, thank you for having me on. This has been fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that the the main thing that just I like to convey to people is that you're not broken. And everybody has their own issues, their own stuff, whether it's psychological, physical, et cetera. And, you know, as practitioners, our, what we should be doing is helping to empower you and helping you to figure out how to work around it, work through it, and not creating more problems. So if you walk into somebody's office and, they, and you leave with more questions and answers and they've created all these new problems and they've made you think about every single step that you take and that you're walking wrong and sitting wrong and standing wrong and living wrong and sleeping wrong and Breathing all that stuff. Wrong. Yeah. It's <laughs> Which like, we maybe are, no, but <laughs> all of those things can be valid at a point in time. Yeah. And this is where the complexity and the nuance comes into play. All these things can be valid. But if you feel like this person is creating more problems than solutions, try to find somebody else because mm-hmm. there are so many people out there that are doing a great job that care and that will help you. And it doesn't matter what their label is. They could be physical therapists, strength conditioning coaches, chiropractors, I mean, whomever. They're not going to shame you. But yeah, it's right? that stuff is so important. So uh, that's that's kind of my message to I, I know that um, you know you want to talk about like pain a little bit, and that's the biggest thing with pain, I think, is finding somebody that can really reach you as a person. I love that. I guess my last question before my final, final question, okay. which is what is your <laughs> spirit animal? Um, so you, I'll give you some time oh, to chew on that. Nerve pain? Anybody nerve with pain nerve pain? Tough. It's tough, right? So I would just, is there any sort of like where to go or just even the empathy of like, it's tough. Maybe that's all, but I do know there's, if anybody has, anybody has nerve pain, I would just like to address that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, chronic nerve pain is very challenging. Uh, 
you can see by the fact that we don't do a great job of helping people after spinal cord injuries, we just don't have a great understanding right now of how to really help regenerate nerves and, uh, and get beyond that. I think the most important thing is still working through some of that pain. So let's say you have a chronic sciatica injury uh, or issue. It typically is not going to get better by doing nothing. And so it does get worse. Usually, right. right? And so, so all the research uh, that really is about quality of life and resuming, resuming normal function. And, you know, it can, it can impact your social life. It can impact your happiness, all that stuff. All the research says, continue to try to do what you can. Right. And it will take its natural course to a certain extent. You know, if you cut a nerve uh, or you have a nerve compression injury, it might heal at about a millimeter a day. And so if you, if you think about how many millimeters there are from your, the pain in your foot all the way up to your sciatic nerve in your butt or in your low back, it's a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think that, uh, nerve pain, people that have nerve pain, it turns into a mental thing where not that they're making it up, but that they sense the pain before it's there and it's, they're expecting it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's the same way that, you know, uh, when you stub your big toe, even if it doesn't hurt that bad, you feel that pain right at first because you're expecting it. And so. Uh, I think with nerve pain, a lot of it is about try, really trying to work through it and resume resume what you're doing as much as possible. And sometimes the simplest advice like that is the best. I can go. People don't it. want to pay for that advice, but it's <laughs> well. That's know, why I had you on my podcast. I will say for nerve pain, like, how can I get this person? Um, how can I like? What can I do for parasympathetic? Like, what can we do to get them right? Into exactly, and this breathing calm? exercises. That is your spine. Yeah. Your spine is your nerve system, mm-hmm. your nervous system. And so, how can we get them into the nervous system that we never are in, that we should be in, eighty percent right. of the time? The non fight or flight. Like, yeah. How can we calm ourselves? Which is the last thing we want to do when we're in that pain, because we're yeah. stressed and we're ready to flee. Like, it's so consuming so do you ever use cbd have you used cbd at all i, I have not no i don't have much experience i'm curious with like how yeah. people with nerve pain maybe have responded to it because then that could help like the cannabinoid system might be able to access parasympathetic before your your own state can right, so it's right. maybe a way to kind of ease into that yeah but, the whole well that whole parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system uh, thought process is really important for nerve pain and a lot of pain and so mm-hmm. you know i'll tell people kind of go to a point of restriction and then breathe see if you can relax in that point of restriction then maybe push a little further and trying to get them to down regularly because when you're when you're tensed up you're never it's never going to make you feel better it's so true yeah all right teddy what's your spirit oh, animal so this is kind of cliche but i have to say pitbull that's not now, cliche well i know pitbulls are actually outlawed in denver Den- which is denver proper which is sad to it me. is sad so, i think it'll change eventually but the city of denver <laughs> if you have a pitbull you have to be like at a close by neighboring county okay. it's crazy so i have two pit bulls and they're the sweetest what One, are their names tuna <laughs> and wilbur <laughs> i love it <laughs> tuna is silver colored oh. and that's how we we arrived at tuna and Perfect. then or i arrived at tuna but then my wife and i got wilbur a couple years ago and he looks like a pig he has very thin hair oh. and, uh, and pink skin and so we were like all right wilbur the pig from babe that's perfect but you know both of my dogs are complete sweethearts. They'll lick you to death. Uh, I would say that's my spirit animal because maybe they're a little misunderstood. Like what we were saying, the, the muscle tattoo guy yes. and people think he's intimidating, <laughs> but really he's like trying to connect with, you know. And so uh, I think that pit bulls are one of those animals that people are starting to figure out that a lot of them are very sweet. There's, you know, yeah. there's it's more of a uh, nurture thing than nature. It breaks my heart, and man. So, we, I mean, I worked at U Shampooch before I was able to be – 
So if you don't know Wait, my story. Wait, you shampooed? Oh, yeah. I washed that dogs when I was doing personal <laughs> training. So before I could just be a trainer, I had to wash dogs. So, and I, I loved it because I loved dogs. I mean, there's definitely a point where I was over it. But yeah. <laughs> for the most part, um, and it was so, we would like, yeah, I actually don't even know if I want to say this because I don't want anyone to get in trouble. But I just, pit bulls were not allowed in it. That yeah. just, it baffles me because it's true if they're raised in the way that they should be, they are the kindest, most loyal, precious yeah. animals. So I like that spirit animal. That's a good one. <laughs> You're my first pit bull. I've had a Weimaraner, okay. but not a pit bull. So <laughs> this is good. Um, and then outside of healthyballer.com, yeah. your website where you share about your training in DC, but also your classes that you run, um, where else can people find you? Uh, I would, to be honest, the most updated thing is my Instagram. Perfect. I mean, strength coach, strength coach therapy. Strength coach but, therapy. But yeah, I have a couple different. I mean, you know how this is. I have a couple different websites for the for the various legs of the business. Citizen Athletics is our is the online inner circle and yeah. training program. I love that. Where you do weekly, monthly. We do monthly updates. Uh, so we do a, a new training block every four weeks. It's kind of a conjugate method approach, similar to what okay. you're doing here. Uh, you know, we get a lot of accessory and prehab work in at the beginning and end of each training session. Um, so, so that's, and we also have a messaging system within there. So, you know, I can't answer all the DMS that I get, but if you're in a paying member in there and you're, you know, we can start to have a conversation about what's going on. And so, Love it. um, so that's, so that's one piece of athletics.com and then teddywilsey.com is just kind of like my generic website, but yeah, strength coach therapy, Instagram. I don't know. I've I'm just, you're, it. it's like the most helpful yeah. Instagram in the world. Just so you know. Oh, oh, mine? Yes. Oh, this thank you. impressive. Like, <laughs> I remember that's when I, I don't know how we connected first, but I was like, I found this. Was it me finding this in July? I don't, I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. I, I reached out to you or I, I think I just emailed the, whatever you had on there. Cause I knew I was coming out here this. I'm yeah. going to share these all week because people need to listen to this podcast, but they also need well, thank to just you. follow you. So. Yeah. And I talk about that a lot on my, on my Instagram too. I'll kind of, the title will be something that people can understand more like glute activation, but then in the caption, it's the real I'll talk shit. more about like, <laughs> Hey, like your glutes are probably still activating. Don't worry. Like yeah. you're alive. Like, you know, you're standing up. So those are working, but we can still make it better. I and love your approach. I yeah. Think it's so, so it's, important. that's, that's really what I try to, you know, meet people halfway you can't challenge people right at the beginning, but then, but you know, then and I talk them. about posture too and how we don't have to all have the militaristic posture every second and all that. Oh and goodness, so, look at me. Yeah, I know. Look at both of us. We're just <laughs> slouched, you know. We're okay though. So thank you again. Yeah, thank this you. Has been so, really thank helpful. you so much for having me on. Yeah, I know my listeners are going to love this. My listeners, um, I'll see you next week. I'm back on. So back to the, back to the Wednesday grind. Okay.